0: You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. See, we have a lot of visitors here with us today. I want to make sure I introduce myself. I go by Ant. I get the privilege of serving as pastor here at Midtown Two Notch. I understand that a lot of people visit a lot of different churches uh, on Easter Sunday. We're very glad that you chose to worship with us. Amen. If you would do me a favor, if you're a first-time guest, you do me a favor, you don't have to do anything right now, but when, when we dismiss at the end, if you would make sure you just stop by, uh, we'll have a kiosk out there and a sign that says for first-time guests." We'd love to be able to connect with you, especially if we haven't already been able to do that and we hope that you will continue to join us on Sunday as well. Go ahead and turn uh, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You should have one in the seat back in front of you. If you do not own your own Bible, please take that home with you. We would love for you to have a Bible. We want everyone to have one. So again, if you do not currently own a Bible, please take that one with you as a gift from us as a just an opportunity for us to show us to show you our love. Excuse me. I love The resurrection of Jesus. There's really nothing that I love preaching about more than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I hope y'all ain't finished praising God today because I don't want to be the only one up here doing that as we talk about the resurrection today. We're going to get it started in verse 58, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to get it started at verse 58. I have one goal today, one goal that we would, through the power of the resurrection and the understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, be able to live out this call, this charge that Paul gives to the Corinthian church here in verse 58. Uh-huh. That we would, through, through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, with eyes on the fact that he got up out of the grave, we would be able to live out this, this beautiful charge, this beautiful command that Paul gives. So this is the last verse in the chapter. We want to read it. This is where we're going. Then we'll go back and work through everything Paul tells them and instructs them on and encourages them with to get them, get them to this point. Let's read I'll read verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I want to encourage us with the resurrection of today to be steadfast. The word steadfast means unwavering. It means to be fixed in a direction. Someone who is steadfast doesn't allow the different circumstances and situations that they find themselves in to get them off course from where they are intending to go. Now, Paul's going to tell us where we're intending to go here, but we want to make sure we understand what he means by being steadfast. He also says being immovable. Something that's immovable is not just that our our circumstances can't push us off of the path that we're on, but nothing and no one can change our direction or change the purpose that we have in Christ. He says, I want you to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The Greek word, therefore, abounding means to have excess. He says, I want you to always be going above and beyond in the works of the Lord. This is what he calls us to. Now, notice the first word in this verse is therefore. It means he's connecting what he's calling them to, to what he has already said to them. In light of what I am saying to you, you should live this way, my beloved brothers. Be steadfast be immovable. Let nothing move you, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, Then nothing that we ever do in service of the Lord is in vain. That's whether that's sharing the gospel of Jesus with someone who does not know him or whether that's just you loving your neighbor as you love yourself. None of it is ever in vain because of the resurrection of Jesus is where Paul is going in this passage. I want to try to explain a little bit. I have a friend. I won't won't use her name. I'll call her Jay. Jay worked as a, let me make sure I get this right, pediatric emergency room trauma nurse. Pediatric emergency room trauma nurse. I can't imagine the things that she's seen. I can't imagine the pain that she has felt as she treats children who have been harmed in devastating ways, some of which have not recovered. I was having a conversation with her Excuse me. And she was saying that the heaviness of it was unbearable. She said, I I go to work and I see these things that no one should ever have to see. She said, it's just, it's unbearable. She said, I don't know if I can continue on doing this. It's too much, it's too heavy. She had come face to face with some of the darkest things, maybe more darkness than we have ever seen personally. In a life group meeting a few weeks ago, I was talking with uh, a lot of y'all know Zach. He's one of our members here. And he, uh, he works with families and, 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 and represents their cases at different hearings. And he was talking about this family that he, was, that he was working with where there had been some type of domestic violence in the home. So the children ended up being separated from their mom, which is extremely sad. But there seemed to be like some, some positive steps that were, that were taking place. It seemed like there was a possibility in the near future... Maybe even as, as soon as next month that they will be able to be reunited together. So he's following up with them. He goes and visits, and he gets, he gets bad news. He's talking to one of the children, and they don't even want to go back and be with their mother at this point because the mom has gotten back into this toxic relationship with her what was her ex-boyfriend. The mom, the children, and friends of the family all agreed that, hey, you would actually be able to function as a good mom if you just ended this relationship. And so obviously that's what Zach is is hoping for, that she would be able to do. She said she couldn't do it. So now the children suffer away from their mom and don't even desire to be back with their mom. I don't know what it is that makes you want to give up. I don't know what it is that makes you at times feel like you can't continue. on. I, 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 I saw the, the, the disappointment on Zach's face as he was explaining and sharing that story with us. I don't know what that is for you, but I do have good news for you, that the truth that we're about to look through in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the strength that we have to be able to move and walk and continue on through any amount of darkness, through any amount of injustice, through any amount of darkness that we see in this world. We're going to walk through several of the verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today, looking for strength to remain steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. And Paul is going to talk a lot about what happens after we die. So you might wonder, why is Paul going going to remind us of what happens after we die? Here's the truth that we all need to make sure we're on the same page with, or if not, this passage might not make sense to us. The way you understand and think about what happens next determines how you live now. The way you understand what happens on the next side, on the other side, determines how you live in this side. When I was in school, when I was in college, I heard people operating with two, basically two different philosophies. One was, A's get you paid. So I'm gonna work hard so I can get these A's because I'm trying to get paid. That's philosophy number one. Philosophy number two was, yeah, but C's get degrees. I hear you. (laughs) Yeah, but C's get degrees. We got some seeds. get degrees saints in the house today. It's good to see you. I'm glad that you're here with us. These two, because of their understanding of what happened next was different, lived two completely different ways. Your understanding, your expectation for what happens next affects the way that you live now. So Paul's going to encourage us with what happens in the next life. Didn't know we had so many C's get degrees saints in the house today. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. We're going to start with verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So Paul is, is comparing and contrasting Jesus with Adam. All the darkness that I previously explained, whether that's the emergency room or whether that's in, in cases and in hearings where families are being torn apart, all of the darkness, all of the pain All of the hopelessness, all the fear, every bit of the the insecurity and darkness that we see is a result of what we call the fall. When Adam in the Garden of Eden and his wife Eve ate of the, the tree that God told them not to eat from. When they rebelled against God, when they in that one act declared their autonomy from God. That they didn't need God, they didn't need his direction, they didn't need him in their lives. They preferred to do things their own way and that's when everything got messed up. Theologians call it the curse of sin. Afterwards, God begins to let them know now that the ground is cursed, the very very creation itself, the fabric of creation was then cursed. Their relationships begin to have problems with their relationship with each other, their relationship with with their, their selves, their relationship with God got messed up. And as a result, every amount of anxiety and disappointment, every amount of fear, every amount of depression, every amount of hatred, hatred that we have for others, hatred that we have for ourselves... At times, every amount of abuse, neglect, and abandonment, every amount of horrific injuries that children have, every amount of family tension and problems has come as a result of the curse of sin because of our first forefather, Adam. But he also talks about Jesus who came, who lived a perfect life, who was raised from the grave. He brings life and resurrection for all of God's creation. See, God told Adam and Eve, the day that you sin, you will surely die. They didn't die physically right then, but creation in and of itself, from that point on, always moved towards death. In this world, it was never this way, but in this world, everything that lives dies. Everything that lives, from the time it starts living, there's this process of decay and breaking down in pursuit of death that our creation is moving towards. And Jesus comes in. The verse says, By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, for as Adam an all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus comes in stronger than sin, stronger than death itself, and defeats the curse of sin with his perfect life, with his death as he died for the sins of the world, and obviously with his resurrection when he showed that death itself obeys him. And when we place faith in the fact that he has done this for us, when we put our trust in him, then we find the one who is hope for all who suffer. We find the one who is healing for all who hurt, the one who, who gives the eternal relationship for all who may have been abandoned. Paul continues on glorifying our Savior in verse 23. He says, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So to explain this concept of the firstfruits. So this, this would have been written in an agricultural society, right, where they live off of, off of the harvest. And the first fruits of the harvest was the first. It wasn't really considered to be a part of the main harvest. It would come a little earlier, and it would kind of give you a foretaste of what the harvest was going to be like. It would give you a foretaste of what's going to come from the ground later. So if the, so if the, if the first fruits are good, then you know the harvest is going to be good. But it also proves to you that you're actually going to have a harvest, So at some point, you're anticipating the first fruit, maybe even before and more than you're anticipating the harvest, because this is what lets you know if you're going to actually have a harvest. And Paul is saying that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of the harvest, and we are the harvest. He's saying that because all believers, even though we will die in this life and our bodies will be buried in the ground, just like he got out of the ground as the first fruits, as a harvest does, our bodies will rise up from the ground as well. And we will be the harvest. And we look to Jesus to know both that, yes, we will be raised from the dead. And we look to understand what it will be like when we are raised from the grave. Jesus, as the first fruits, gives us a picture into eternity that we will rise above death that though we die, death just gets us actually to where we want to go in the first place, to go be with our Lord and our rock, our Savior. Jesus is the first fruits, He's the, the foretaste of the harvest. Verse 24, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. I don't watch golf, I don't get into golf. Please. But I know what happened about a week or two ago at the Masters. Okay. Hey man, go ahead. Speak on. I saw people who don't care anything about golf, losing their, man, losing their minds, grown men crying because Tiger Woods won the Masters, That's right. crying. Okay. We love a good redemption story. Yeah. We love to see someone rise up out of the ashes. Tiger Woods was the best of the best. They were saying he was the greatest of all times, and then his career just fell off a cliff. He couldn't even compete on the same level with the people that he was destroying just prior to that. And then he rises, he wins the Masters. I saw videos of entire, uh, what do you call it, bars and, and sports clubs just igniting with passion and celebrating Tiger Woods winning. Because we love to see someone rise out of the ashes, rise out of the clutches of defeat. This is why Avengers Endgame is expected to gross more money in the first week than, anyone, than any other movie that's ever been done. Why? Because there is something in us. It's not just that we prefer it. There is something in us that's like, no, the evil can't win. The evil cannot win. So we say, here, take all our money and all our time. Okay. Avengers, you get it all. All of our money... Everything. Verses 24 and verse 25 amaze me, where it talks about him delivering the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. I want you to understand what Paul is saying, because I don't know if we fully grasp it. He's saying, Jesus died, got up from the grave, didn't end there, and then he rises above every other authority and power in the earth. He goes from the pinnacle of weakness, the, 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 the pinnacle of the, of the essence of the curse of sin, He is dead. Three days. Not breathing, not moving. Three days. And not only does he rise from the dead, but he rises to be more powerful than his enemies and he puts them under his feet. This is our savior. That he didn't just get up out of the grave. He got up with all power in his hands for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. It's like he looks at death and he says, you hold on for a second. I'm saving you for last. I'm coming back for you. I'm going to finish you off. I'm going to finish you off when I come back. Paul goes on to talk about what this harvest will look like for us in verses 51 and 57. Go ahead and jump down a few verses with me to verse 51. Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed, for this imperishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Paul says the trumpet is going to sound. Y'all know what the trumpet means, right? It means the king is here. The trumpet is the the alert, that the king is coming. Get yourself in order, because the king is coming, and the king is right here with us. And Paul says the perishable will put on the imperishable. When he talks about our bodies, he's talking about that harvest they that referred to earlier, that all the saints who have been buried, who are, who are currently have bodies in the ground, those bodies will rise up and come up out of the ground. And the perishable bodies will put on the imperishable. when what was mortal, what was able to die, will never be able to die again. And it will put on immortality when the trumpet sounds, when Christ comes back for his people. Our mortal bodies that have been affected by the curse will never know the curse of sin ever again. We'll never know pain, we'll never know harm, we'll never know abuse ever again. I wish I would have thought to tell my friend Jay that when she was talking to me about her job and the darkness of it. That there's going to be a day when the bodies of all who have placed faith in him will never suffer another injury. Well, there will be no need for nurses. There will be no need for emergency rooms, no hospitals, no trauma ever again. And we know because we know the first fruits. Because we know the one who got up. Who, though his body was killed, he was able to move. And those who witnessed him die touched his hands. But there was no more blood. Verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written... Death is swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that on that day when the perishable puts on imperishable, when all the saints will rise together with our king, death will be nothing more than a distant memory. It will be something that we mock and laugh at. It'll be the thing that has tormented us. Here's the thing about the curse of sin. It's like it's this dark cloud that sits over us and casts this shadow of darkness over all of creation. And Paul says that we will rise and we will look at death and we will say, where is your sting? You used to cause so much pain, so much fear, so much grief. Where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That the evil monster of death and sin has been slain by our Savior. And that's important because as I said earlier, the way you understand and think about what happens next affects the way you live now. The way you understand and think about what happens on the other side affects the way that you live on this side. And I want to use the rest of our time today to explain why this truth that Jesus has been raised from the dead changes everything. The truth of our resurrection in him changes everything and enables us to be steadfast and immovable. When I had that conversation with Jay, I asked her, what you're describing, is it hopelessness? She kept using the word heavy. She said, kept saying it was so heavy. I said, is it, is it hopelessness? She said, what? I, I'm not sure. What exactly do you mean? I said, hopelessness is when you have arrived at the conclusion that the darkness wins. Hopelessness is when you, you, you so see the darkness, and this is what suffering does. Like It puts blinders over us, and all we can see is the darkness. Hopelessness is when you can't see any light shining through. It's when you can't see any good. All you see is the evil, and so you throw your hands in the air. And it's like, well, why would I continue to do this? Why would I continue on? Hopelessness expresses itself in a couple different ways. For some of us, it just expresses in misery. We're just miserable. we got no fight left in us. we got, we got no more energy. All we, all we want to do is just quit and give up. That's one way that hopelessness expresses itself. But hopelessness expresses itself in another way that's a little bit more sneaky. We call that cynicism. Cynicism is when you just don't expect anything good to happen, so you're kind of jaded, kind of emotionally distancing yourself from it. It's like, well, I don't see why I would pray. I don't feel like anything's going to happen. It's, oh, I've been trying to encourage this person, and I've been talking to her over and over again, and I don't see, she ain't changing, she just is who she is, and she just is who she's going to be. So why would I even continue on? Cynicism is, man, why would I even keep trying to fight against this sin in my life? This is just who I am. It's who I've always been. This is, this is just my personality. Now, why would I even continue to try to fight against it? I might as well just accept it as a part of who I am. That's belief that the darkness has won. That's not the confession of someone who understands that Jesus did not stay in the grave. That is living as if our Savior is still dead. Have you ever been there before? You have any situations in your life that you just feel like it's just too much? You just feel like, I can't, I can't handle it. I can't continue on. I can't continue to press because all I see is the bad. It's, it, it's Maybe it's like the situation with Zach when he's stepping in and he's trying to help and things seem like they are going better. And he loves children and he loves families. And it seems like things are going better. And then you just hit a brick wall and it's just like, well, why am I even doing this? Why am I even continuing on in this fight? This is hopelessness. You have any situations in your life that feel like that? God, I know you say you're good, but it doesn't look like it. This struggle, this fear, this grief is too much. This sadness, this pain, this suffering that I'm enduring is too much. This anxiety, this depression, this sin that I've been struggling with, I've been messing up over and over and over again. It's harming me. It's harming other people. It's just too much, God. This issue in my family that causes me so much pain is just too much. This desire that I have for something that you are not giving me, God, the sadness that I feel, it's just, it's just too much. This oppression, this racism, this injustice, God, it's just, it's just too much. Have you ever been there before? What makes you feel like the darkness has won? I don't know what makes it hard for you to see the light, but I want us to find strength. I'm going to read again verses 54 and 55. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I want you to be able to do what Paul is doing right here. I want you to be able, I want you to be able to look the curse of sin right in the face and say, you have no victory here. I want you to be able to look at your, your worst fear, your worst pain, your worst anxiety, whatever causes you the most tears. I want you to be able to look at your worst grief and say, if you do not own me, you do not run me, you do not rule me, and you do not have victory over me. I have a master. He is coming back, and he will finish you off. I want you to be able to look into your worst pain, sometimes with tears in your eyes. With your eyes on the resurrection of Jesus that reminds you that that your pain and your grief does not have the final say. I want you to be able to look at it and proclaim that your day is coming. You will not reign forever and you will be defeated and I will mock you for all of eternity. I want us to be able to understand through the power of the resurrection that when we look at the first fruits. That the curse does not win. I told Zach that day in our life group meeting, I just want to remind you that the darkness doesn't win. I know you're seeing the darkness right now. I want to remind you that it does not win. I want us to be able to look that pain in the face and be able to say, you hurt me. You caused me a lot of tears. You made me feel hopeless at times because it looked like you were winning. But my king is coming back when the trumpet sounds. And when the trumpet sounds, you will be defeated and I will mock you. But here's the other part of it. Here's the other part. It's not just that he's defeating the curse of sin when he comes back. He's already defeated it. I said that the curse is like this black cloud that just sits over us. The resurrection is looking at the cloud and saying, I'm starting to see the light coming through. I can already see the light coming through. It's looking at the curse of sin and saying, it's not just that he's coming back to finish you off. He's already beating you and I can see you falling apart right now. I can already see you crumbling. I can see the the fabric starting to rip on your whole system. You are crumbling, and you are already being defeated. Because there are ways and there are times that you used to run me, and you don't anymore. That's because you're already defeated. Because even in my misery, I'm able to find hope in the Lord now in ways that I've never been to before. You've already been defeated. Because there are times and things that used to cause me so much fear and and so much worry, and now I'm able to find a peace that passes all understanding in my Lord Jesus Christ. You are already broken. The lie that the enemy wants us to believe is that we just have to wait until Jesus comes back, and then we'll be able to walk in victory over the curse. But what Paul is saying is, no, it's already defeated. He has already got up from the grave. It does not own you if you are in Christ. The confession of the believer, the confession of the believer is that, yes, you have hurt me, but I still have joy in the Lord even through my tears. The confession of the believer in the resurrection is that, yes, I still see my sin, but I also see God transforming me every single day of my life. That yes, I still have sin, but I know that the one who began a good work in me will continue to perform it until the day of completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The confession of the believer in the resurrection is yes, I'm guilty, but I'm also forgiven. It's yes, I've gotten off track, but I know that my God has not left me and he is still at work in me and through me. Yes, I experience fear, but I also know his peace. Yes, I grieve, but I do not grieve as one who does not have hope. Yes, you caused me many tears in this life, but he is going to wipe them all away because you do not win. Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthian church in chapter 4, verses 8 and verse 9, This is he's explaining in his own life how the power of the resurrection, the power of the gospel of Jesus affects him and enables him to endure. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. See, the resurrection is exactly what we need. I don't need some, some cliches that sound good that might make me feel like I'm better. I need a historical resurrected Jesus because here's what it does for me. It doesn't paint the picture with a fairy tale where it's like, there's nothing bad or there's nothing wrong. No, it's saying, no, I took death on and I defeated it. And if you follow me, you will too. The resurrection of Jesus actually deals with the problem. It actually deals with the problem, the curse of sin. in In the picture, the story of the resurrection is death and life. If we are going to be able to live in a fallen world with so much pain, with so much hurt, we need a resurrection. We don't even just need a God who remained distant from all the suffering in this world, in this life. We need a God who came in, lived a perfect life, died, and then said, you cannot defeat me, and was raised from the grave. You need the resurrection. And you don't just need it on this Sunday, you need to know it and you need to remember it every day of your life. Praise God that the curse of sin cannot defeat him. Because he's the first fruit. And that means when the trumpet sounds, we know that the curse of sin will never ever bother us or torment us again. It won't defeat us either. So family, don't give up. Don't give up. Be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work is never in vain. I know there are difficult times. I know you're going to go to some dark places as we're seeking to share the gospel of Jesus with those that don't know him. We're going to encounter darkness. We're going to encounter injustice. We're going to run into some situations where we might not even know what to do, where it might seem like nothing's getting better and nothing's improving. And sometimes things will will seem hopeless. But to live in hopelessness, it's to live as if Jesus didn't get up out of the grave. The tagline for the day. Don't give up because Jesus got up. Don't give up because Jesus got up. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how dark it looks. I don't care how close the darkness comes to home from you. Do not give up because he got up. We're going to partake in communion a little bit and we're going to keep this worship service going. Y'all pray with me. Father, Thank you for your love. Thank you for your power, God. Thank you for being the first fruits of the harvest. Thank you that we get to benefit from your victory. God, we didn't have the power. God, without you, we have every reason to be hopeless. We have every reason to believe the darkness has won, but we serve a resurrected Savior who took on death, who took on the epitome of the curse and was raised up from the grave. Would you instill hope in us, Father? Would you help us to realize and live out the power of the resurrection in our lives by being steadfast, by just being able to continue on with what you have called us to, by being immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord? God, would you make the resurrection something that we don't just celebrate on Easter Sunday, but that we remember and we hold dear every day of our lives? For in the resurrection, we find our hope, we find our strength. Thank you for being everything that we need. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.